What's up, guys? It's David Hess from the Rising Above podcast. Have you ever thought or dreamed about starting a podcast? Well, look no further. Anchor has all the tools necessary to record a podcast from your computer or phone. You heard that right. They make it so simple. When you host your podcast on Anchor, they will distribute your podcast on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Honestly, it's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place, which is why I host on Anchor. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today to get started. Welcome to the Rising Above podcast. My name is David Hess, and today I'm talking to Miguel Reyes. Uh, he's a he's a, a recovering um, alcoholic. Am I correct? Yes. And uh, he finds his uh, he, he, he kind of gets his fix through through running nowadays. And uh, anyways, my, or Miguel, would you mind uh, introducing yourself? Absolutely. Uh, my name is Miguel. I'm an alcoholic. Um, you could just call me Migs. Uh, I am 33. I am from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Um, let's see. I have a twin boys. Uh, they'll be 16 in October. Um, that I have a really, really, I don't want to say bad relationship with. I just don't get to see him much because of stupid stuff that I did, um, which I'm sure we'll get into. And then I have a, uh, almost three-year-old. Uh, with my current wife, and I had my last drink on May 31st, 2000, or I'm sorry, May 30th, 2018. Uh, my sober date is May 31st. Wow. And I work in the restaurant industry, so you can imagine how fun that was. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult, I'm sure, being around that all the time. Um, so you also have a podcast as well, and that's how I kind of discovered you it's through the podcast yes. world. You want to tell me about that a little bit? For sure. So the, I guess to back up a little bit and kind of set the groundwork on how the podcast started, um, when I sobered up about a year and a half into my sobriety, uh, I was training for my first marathon and I stepped in a pothole and rolled my ankle and tried to walk it off. And like a week and a half later, it just wasn't getting any better. It was only getting worse. Um, found out it was officially fractured, uh, Doctors, everything shut me down. I was supposed to fly out to LA. Uh, that was the marathon was supposed to be March 8th um, of 2020. So about a week before the world shut down. <laughs> and uh, so when I broke my ankle in January, I kind of just poured like a, I did like a pity party thing. And uh, it turned into like the whole poor me, poor me, poor me mentality. Um, for any of my fellow alcoholics out there, that's just something we hear in the rooms a lot. Um, and so when that happened, I decided like I needed a support group because the only, I don't want to say the only bad thing, but, uh, uh, one of the issues with being an alcoholic, when you're reaching out into the running groups, like the normal running groups, running motivation, half full marathon trainers, all those groups like that. Um, and the problem is when you post a picture of your nasty busted ankle that looks as big as your, uh, thigh, Ooh. then they tell you. Oh, well, it's okay. We'll use this as downtime. Just go have some good beer and do this and do that. And unfortunately, that's not what I needed to hear. So I had a bad incident where I had a close call. I almost relapsed, actually. I went to a local beer store and I tried to buy beer after work and um, I didn't have my ID. 
and I have a baby face, as you can see, so they didn't serve me. And I like to think, I like to tell myself, or I like to think positively that I would have got home. I would have changed my mind anyway, and I wouldn't have done it. But luckily God stepped in and just kind of, uh, didn't let it happen anyway. So the next morning I just, I, I pretty much was like breaking down and crying. Like I needed help. I needed people to talk to. I had a resentment towards meetings at the time, which is on my own fault. And so I started a group called Staying Fit One Day at a Time. It was for the like-minded folks, um, anybody who is in recovery for anything, alcoholism, drugs, mental health issue, and just want to focus on a life of health and fitness. And after being in that group or after starting that group and letting it rock out for about eight or nine months at the time, I started to realize, man, there's so many people on here with such cool stories to share. And it's like, this is unbelievable. This is just so cool. And I was like, let's just do a podcast. And it kind of got talked about. It got talked about. It got talked about. And to be honest, it got shrugged off. Never moved forward with it. And then someone featured me on their podcast. Shout out Antonio DeHeinrich. Uh, got me on hers. Uh, quit, quit blank and start running. Um, and when she had me on there, it just lit a fire. And I was like, all right, time to go. And I just moved forward. And I started recording about a month later. Started publishing about three months later and it's just been go time ever since my goal was to get an episode once every Sunday um it hasn't worked out that way so I'm kind of adding in more and more now to try and get back on pace but yeah it's it's just people telling their stories um unedited super raw and just you know where they came from and where they're at now getting towards their fitness goals and everything it's unbelievable stories such cool people on there yeah, I, I listened to your podcast the other day. I was driving to get groceries, and uh, I got to say it was pretty pretty well done. Um, and your story is thank pretty, you very much. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> your story story is pretty incredible. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, kind of taking me back and talk about kind of where all this started, your, your alcoholism and whatnot. All right. Uh, first, before I go further, do do you need me to watch my language for you? No, you can say whatever you want. <laughs> all right, let's roll. All right, so. <laughs> Uh, pretty much, um, my, my dad is an alcoholic as well, a drug addict, um, in recovery. And, uh, my grandmother was, I was told she was a weekend warrior. Um, I didn't really see too, too much of my grandmother's drinking habits. Uh, but I was told that she was a weekend warrior when she would get out of work Friday night, she would pretty much drink nonstop until Sunday night when she went to bed and then she would just chill out through the week. Um, my dad, however, I did see very, very actively, um, physically abusive towards my mom and my stepmom when he remarried, uh, constantly getting beer muscles when we were out in public, getting into arguments with people and whatnot, never seen him physically get into a fight. Um, but I honestly, looking back, I genuinely believe in my adult years. I think looking back now, I think the only reason he never got into a fight is because the other person saw how drunk he was and saw me with him and who wants to beat up a drunk guy in front of their kid. Right. And so I think, I think I'd save my dad a lot of ass whoopings back in the day, <laughs> to be honest. And uh, I don't want to say like he couldn't. He, I don't want to say he couldn't defend himself, but uh, my dad's not a small guy, or I mean, my dad is a very small guy, and just like myself too. And this kind of goes into when I started drinking. For some reason, like the beer muscles tend to pick on the biggest person out there, and so I, it's like no, it, it it wouldn't turn out well. Um. So anyway, so I witnessed that in my whole my my teenage years. And my middle school years, I always said, like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do drugs because this is what I saw. Uh, my uncle passed away when I was in eighth grade. He died of a heart attack that was induced by um, drug overdose. Wow. Uh, 
cocaine specifically. I have another uncle who on the, from the other side of my family, from my mom's side of my family who committed suicide because of uh, drug addiction. He, his family was getting ready to leave him and uh, he couldn't take it anymore. And he hung himself in his house and uh, rest in peace, uncle Jason. And, um, so I, like I said, I just always told myself, like, I'm never going to get into this. I'm never going to get into this. And I started smoking weed, which actually was, I don't want to say, okay, but it was just what I was doing. And then I got myself in some legal trouble. Was it, was and this in high school? No, actually. Yeah. So I can actually count. I never smoked weed before I was 18 years old. Oh. Never. And weirdly enough, although I was like full blown alcoholic, I actually never did a drug in my life. I've never taken a pill that wasn't prescribed to me. Um, I never did any drugs. I've never even smoked a cigarette because wow. my mentality, my entire life growing up was, I don't want to be like my dad. I don't want to be like my dad. And I don't know if it's because weed is the only thing I never saw my dad do, but it was the only thing I was comfortable doing. <laughs> it was weird. I, I don't know. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it makes sense. It's just how my brain worked at the time, you know, 15 <laughs> years ago. Right. So started smoking weed and got myself in some trouble. Uh, because full disclosure, I was also selling weed and, uh, got myself in some trouble and, uh, caught a felony for delivery of a controlled substance. And while I was on bail, I was dating a girl who was on probation for a DUI. So I'm on parole or I'm sorry, I'm on bail. She's on probation for a DUI. So it just became kind of a drinking thing. Well, I'm 21 now let's go to a bar. It became legal. And so like what started off as here and there turned into more and turned into more and turned into more. And before you know it, I don't, I, I don't even know what happened. Just like 10 years fast forward. And I'm just like, I need to drink. And it was weird the way my alcoholism worked. Cause I would go out. I would have every intention of not getting drunk, trying to be responsible, trying to have fun. Uh, like I said, I work in the restaurant industry. So craft beer was huge, mm, is huge. Still is. <laughs> and, um, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how I said was, but it was getting <laughs> really, really big. It was like blowing up towards the end of my alcoholism. Um, and when I, uh, I was actually specifically working at a restaurant in which I actually launched the craft beer program for them because I was their, uh, their manager. And so obviously just every excuse to drink, 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 uh, got to try the new beer, got to test it out. Got to know what I'm selling. And it was just, it, it just got worse and worse. And then it got to a point where, I would have to, I would try and be responsible because I was 45 minutes away. So I would only have one or two there. And then I would get to the bar five minutes from home and get drunk there. And then I would grab six packs on my way home. And it was just, it just went on and on and on and on. And I couldn't, um, there was, I think a point probably for the last year I was drinking where I tried to tell myself like, dude, you're an alcoholic. Like you need help. You got to stop drinking. You got to do something. Um, never said those words out loud. I was afraid to say them to anyone else. Um, and, uh, so, I actually remember just driving home and I was like, man, you, you got You got to do something. And it didn't click. Time goes by my, one of my best friends, um, had a bad incident. He was uh, really into cocaine and drinking and he had a bad incident. Something was laced with something. Oh. And, uh, he ended up in the hospital for a few days and the doctor pretty much told him like, dude, at your age, the stuff you're doing, like, you're going to kill yourself, man. You're very unhealthy. And so we were all on a pool team at the time. I was like, we were all like a group of brothers. Um, and, uh, there was five of us and he disappeared from the team. We didn't know what happened to him. Uh, he stopped going to work. 
He stopped like no one knew what happened. This is before we knew he was in the hospital. So uh, fast forward like four or five days later, we finally find out that he was in the hospital. We kind of know what happened. We know he's home, but he's not answering anyone's calls. He's not answering the door. He's doing nothing. So whatever. One day he kind of like meets up with the team one by one talking to people. And I don't know if he made it a point to come to my apartment to talk with me because he knew about me and he wasn't saying anything. But when he came to tell me his story and he told me how he was cleaning up and he's like, yeah, I'm done with drugs. I'm done with this and that. Um, his boss ended up actually being his sponsor. What he didn't know at the time is his boss was also in recovery. Oh, wow. So gave him a break. And, you know, most people would be out of a job when you no call, no show for two weeks. <laughs> but because of the circumstance, they were like, hey, let's work with you. Let's try and figure this out together. So he just kind of became like, weirdly enough, he was like a sponsor to me before I even quit drinking. Okay. I like lived vicariously through him for like six months. I just wanted to stop drinking and I couldn't. And, uh, I finally found, found the courage to start asking him questions. I still didn't even want to stop drinking it. I just started asking him questions. Well, how did you know? How did you feel? What if this, what if that? And man, he approached it so perfectly because he never made me feel uncomfortable. He never said, Migs, you're an alcoholic. Stop drinking. I know the way you're acting. Um, he just, he let it roll. He was like, you know, that's for you to figure out when you're ready, you're ready. And so one night I'm at work, uh, normal night. And I stop at the bar after work. Now, normally I stop at the bar and I'll have a bunch of drinks and working in the restaurant industry, uh, you work till you work till volume. So I never had a specific time I'd be home. So I could always just lie to my wife and tell her I'm still at work. I'm still at work. I'm still at work. As long as it was before 2 a.m., it was possible that I could still be at work. <laughs> so I would always use that line and I uh, went to the bar and, you know, stupid us when we're active, like, how do we not think that our spouses know what we're doing? Like, how do we actually think that they're that dumb? Um, but I come home and she's feeding our 16 day old son. And yes, I said 16 days and I'm coming home from the bar. Like I literally just went back to work like the day before from being home with him for two weeks because wow. we had, we had, so we had health issues with him. He was in the hospital. He had to stay in the, in the NICU for a few extra days. He didn't even get to come home into his crib. So he was like a seven or eight days old the first time he ever even came home. So here I go to work five days later. And what do I do? I go to the bar like a dumbass. <laughs> so I come home and I walk in and my wife's like, uh, feed, feed the baby. And I hit her with the, I'm really tired. I just got done working. And she pretty much tells me bullshit. I don't give a shit. I've been here all day taking care of him. Feed your son. I'm going to bed. And so I'm feeding him. This is one of the weird times, Dave. I tell you, every time I would come home from the bar, I'd be drunk. When I would use these lines in her, I would be drunk. This is the one time where I literally had one, maybe two beers at the bar, not high alcohol beers. I would, I would still swear to you this day, if I would have got pulled over that day, would have been one of the very few nights I would have actually passed a sobriety test. Like I genuinely believe, and something happened when I was holding him. I looked at him, I stared in his eyes and I broke down crying. Cause all I saw was, I saw my, I saw my dad in, in his eyes. And I was like, what am I doing? What am I doing? Dude, you have 16 year old at the time they were uh, 13. You have 13 year old twins that want nothing to do with you because of your active alcoholism and you're neglecting and you're choosing to partying and do this and that over being a father. You already squandered it. Like 
it's it's terrible. It, it's terrible. And I openly say this because I'm trying to build a relationship with my kids now and I'm working on them. I talk to them a little bit more regularly now, but I still don't get to see them. It's still a terrible relationship, but I'm I'm building three years later on that. Um, but anyway, back on that note, I was just staring in his eyes and I was like, man, this is I'm I'm my dad right now. And I needed I needed help. And so that was a Thursday Wednesday or Thursday night. Um I worked, or sorry, that was a Wednesday night, Thursday and Friday. Thursday night, I worked in the restaurant business. I was actually okay, weirdly enough. Friday started getting like a little shaky. Stomach actually started hurting, feeling uncomfortable. Like, dude, your body hasn't been without alcohol in 24 hours. Long time, man. <laughs> um, it didn't feel right. And uh, so I start feeling uncomfortable. And then Friday night at work, typical Friday night in the restaurant business, people are getting drunk. They're having a good time. Um, most of them are responsible adults and I couldn't handle that. And we normally sit down and have a beer after work. And when I was supposed to do that, uh, I just, I left. I was like, I just want to get out of the situation. I hadn't even told anybody at work that I was trying to quit drinking yet. I just left. And so Saturday night comes along and it's the same situation, but times 10. Cause now I'm 48, 72 hours of that alcohol. And by the end of that shift, man, I just went home and I just cried. I was like, how the fuck am I going to stop drinking? It's been three days and like, I'm a little bitch about this. I'm crying. <laughs> I'm sick. I don't know. Like, how, how am I going to move any further? And so Sunday morning, I went to church, Life Church in Nazareth. Shout out Pastor John Schwartz. You saved my life this day, dude. So sorry, man. I get emotional telling the story. No, you're, you're good, man. It's raw. That's all that matters. Um. So he, uh, I went to church and he just like kind of has this thing where he's just like at that church, it's, uh, they do worship and they do a lot of music before and after. And at the end, he always does like ramp up words before the band starts playing. He always kind of like jumps up and he's motivating people. And, you know, at the time I didn't know any of this. It's the first time I've been in church for a non-wedding baptism insert. You get where I'm going with that. Mm -hmm. And I don't even know how long. And he goes, for any of you that need something extra, any of you that need a little extra help, uh, tonight we are uh, having a uh, a pop-up at our Easton campus, which is the next door city. And what I come to know now is what they were actually doing is they were building that campus. And so once a month, they would have an evening service trying to get people to know where this building was. And so this just happened to be that Sunday. So I go to the Easton campus now, 6 p.m. I hadn't been to church on my own and I don't know how long. And now I'm there twice in one day. <laughs> so it ends up being Pastor John again. At the end of that uh, service, he goes into worship and he's kind of doing his thing. Like I told you before. And in this time he says, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of people, oh, I'm sorry, back up a second. At the end of that first service, I said something to him. I was like, dude, you really hit, I'm going to try and catch this evening service. Like I'm trying to quit drinking. I have three days right now. Like this is where I'm at. Um, I'll see you at evening service. And so I went to evening service. I don't know if he said this because I mentioned it in his head that morning. I don't know if this is what he was going to say anyway. I don't know. Shout out again, Pastor John. I fucking love you, bro. <laughs> At the end of that, he goes, you know, there's people in here dealing with uh, alcoholism, people dealing with drugs, people dealing with situations in their marriage. Um, just know you are not alone. You can find help. 
God is here. Sorry for anybody. I don't want to like talk about God on here, but like, that's just, um, he just kept going. And I was like, man, he's speaking to me. I got in my car and I looked up AA meetings. Weirdly enough, the next meeting was starting less than 10 minutes from what time it was at the time. And it was one mile away. Wow. I was, this was meant to be. <laughs> I show up at that meeting. I listen to a few people share. People kind of look at me. I raise my hand. It's the first time I ever said, hi, my name is Miguel. I'm an alcoholic. Hardest thing I ever did in my life, man. Uh, at the end of that meeting, after I shared my story, people started sharing, like, you can't cross-talk in these meetings. And uh, people just started sharing, like, I felt like they were sharing towards me. They heard the pain of a guy with three days sober. And they were just saying things I needed to hear. At the end, all these older guys came up to me and um, one guy specifically said, you have a chance for your youngest son to not see you drunk. This is your chance right now. You can be a 50 percenter. I said, dude, what's a 50 percenter? He said, if you want to know what a 50 percenter is, you want to hear more, come back tomorrow. So I went to another meeting on Monday. I didn't see that guy. Uh, I start asking questions. I start talking to people. People start telling me more cool stuff. I get numbers. That meeting I was at on a Monday uh, was a newcomer meeting. At 31, I was, I was 30 or 30. Yeah, 30. At 30 year, 31 years old, I was the oldest person in that meeting. Wow. I was just like, holy shit. It was way different. The night before, I'm like the second youngest person in the meeting. Now I'm the oldest person in the meeting and I have the least sobriety time. <laughs> I'm the only person over 30 and I'm the only person with less than a month sober. It was so oh. weird. So I I start getting more like – I, but weirdly enough, I felt more comfortable there. These are people my age. These are people that understand me a little bit more. These are people a little bit closer to sobriety as opposed to the night before. Everybody's 50 years old with 10 plus years sober. Um, so we start exchanging numbers. I start talking to someone. I met a guy that, that day. Um, he's one of my best friends to this day. He's like a little brother to me. I won't say his name for personal reasons. Um, he's like a little brother to me. I love that dude. I'll do anything for him. He changed my life and he doesn't even know it. At 21 or 22 years old, he changed this 30-year-old <laughs> father of three husband's life. And this is some single 22-year-old. Um, and he doesn't even realize how much he impacted my life. How, so, how did he impact your life? Because he was only a month sober, two months sober. And just every day he would text me, how you doing today? How you feeling? Um, and he was like a little gym rat. So he would, we would start going to the gym and while we were working out, he would talk to me about stuff. What are you going to do today? You're going to go to a meeting today. I'm going to my home group. You want to come here? Yeah. Do you want to visit this? And it was just like for two, maybe three months straight, every single day. I didn't go one day without talking to him. He kept you accountable. Un unbelievably accountable. Um, so I, uh, <clears throat> 
I keep like I was I was just working the program and I I was just like I started doing everything they said they they say when you first start going in go to 90 meetings in 90 days and again I before I continue any further I like to say this and I say this on my own podcast every single episode AA is not for everybody it is it is a group that helps people it is a very proven group for 80 years now and but it is not for everybody i'm not saying it's the only way to stay sober i'm not i don't want to say i'm not suggesting i'm not pushing anybody that way it worked for me as you even heard in my story i even built resentments towards aa over my sobriety because of certain things mm -hmm. which i don't want to turn people off so i'm not going to say what my issues were but certain things turned me away but i also found myself back in the rooms because i realized a lot of that was on me but anyway, I, um, I kept, so one thing they tell you is get a sponsor, um, which I found a really cool acronym for sponsor, sober person <laughs> offering a newcomer suggestions on recovery. No, that's cool. Loved it. So <laughs> I found, I found a sponsor. We, we talked, I started reading, um, what we call is our big book, kind of like an AA Bible almost. Um, I start reading that we're in a meeting one day. And it's actually that same meeting that I was referring to on a Monday night with the newcomers. Here we are a couple months later and we're reading one of the chapters in the book. And it's actually in the beginning of the book. And it says 50% of people who come to alcoholics who, who admit out loud, correct me, forgive my quoting. I'm probably a little off to just 50% of people who come into the rooms get sober. Wow. 25% of the people who come into the rooms get sober on a multiple attempt. Or sorry, 50% get sober on the first time. 25% of people get sober on a multiple attempt. The last 25% of the people at least have the foundation. They know they want to be better. I saw that and I was like, that's what the 50 percenter was. <laughs> Looking back two months ago, what this old man said to me, and I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> All right, it makes sense. I like to play poker a lot. Poker is all about odds and percentages. When you tell me I could put myself in a position where I could be 50% or 25%, that became super easy. Something happened in my brain that day where it said 50%, way higher than 25%. You now understood what he meant by 50, stick that way. And so like, it's been kind of like a motivator for me. I kept telling people I want to be a 50% or I want to be a 50% or when people would ask me what that was, especially newcomers, I would hit him with the same line that old man said, <laughs> keep coming back. Cause I know if you keep coming back, you're going to read the book. If you read the book, you're going to find that line. Right. Because people said that stuff to me all the time about different things. Um, oh, you want to know what that means? Keep coming back. And it's kind of like an old timer thing. Oh, keep coming back. Or like they give you another fun thing that they like to do. And this is actually one of my favorite. This shit is cool. <laughs> when you're at the end of meetings and you're talking to some of these people and you're hearing some of these stories, cause you can't tell war stories in the meetings. They tell you you're not supposed to. Um, so is that a trigger after, something you know, or they say it does. And again, I, when they, I, I don't know, but they, they, they just ask you not to, I, I think for some people could trigger and I could easily see why, like if you talk about, and it makes sense. Like if I have three years sobriety, and like right now we're having this conversation and I can talk about the times where my dad was an active alcoholic and I can talk about the times I came home from the bar and doing this and that. Right. And I can almost laugh on some of those situations where I was sloppy drunk at weddings and the guy getting made fun of. Um, 
And those things aren't going to make me drink right now. Right. But for a guy with one month sober, who knows what hearing that story does for him. Mm -hmm. So anyway, at the end of meetings, we would start talking. Like I would get to hear some of these war stories from these old timers. And I'm like, dude, throw another one. They're like, all right, we'll come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. So every, their answer to everything was come back tomorrow. They just want you to keep coming back to meetings. The shit works. They got to 100 <laughs> meetings in the first 90 days. So shout out to all you old heads. Your tricks work. Um, Good job, boomers. <laughs> yeah. So it, it was really cool. So I, I went to meetings. I stayed active. I went um, to home group. Um, I just tried to do everything I possibly could. And then um, really cool. So in May of 2019, I'm coming up on one year sober. Uh, the entire time of my first year, my mom would ask me every month. So my mom went to my first uh, my mom went to my 30 day meeting with me when I was going to get my 30 day coin. Um, and she cried when I got the coin, obviously we went out to eat afterwards and she goes, how do we celebrate? What do we do? <laughs> do we throw you a party? Do we do this? Do we do that? And I said, no, nah. I said, I'm 30 days into this shit. I don't know what to do. No parties. I said, let me get to a year before we celebrate anything. She held me to that. She never once brought it up again. Fast forward to the early May. My sobriety date is May 30th so or May 31st. So the World Series of Poker is actually held out in Las Vegas in May through July. I'm not sure if you're a poker fan, if you know anything about poker. The World Series of Poker is the pinnacle of poker. It is the Super Bowl of poker. It is – I mean it's in the name. It's the World Series of Poker. <laughs> right. <in> the name. <laughs> Um, so what it is, is it's a major series that spans from May through July, um, with multiple tournaments and the winner of every tournament on top of life changing money, you're also getting a bracelet. Uh, when you earn this bracelet, it's almost kind of like a Super Bowl wing, a world series ring. You know, there's only mm -hmm. a couple thousand in the world. You're one of a couple thousand unique individuals. Um, it's, it's, it, like I said, it's, it's the pinnacle of everything. So I, um, my mom books a, a flight for me to go out to Las Vegas. I'm going out to Vegas for my one-year sober birthday. Good idea, bad idea. <laughs> I don't know. I go to a meeting that morning before I leave for Vegas, which is actually on my one year. I get my one-year coin, go to lunch, get on the plane. So this year, that particular year, they were launching what was called the Big 50. Um, now, keep in mind, this is actually the last live World Series they had because of the pandemic. Right. So they had this tournament called the Big 50. Their goal was to attract the most people in poker history. They wanted to have the largest live tournament ever. At the time, the record was like 20,000 people in the tournament. Wow, that's a lot. This, this tournament that I went out into <clears throat> had 28,371 people. Wow. Yes. 28,371 people all ponying up $500 wow. for a chance to win 1 million. So not only was this the largest tournament in poker history for live, they also put all these crazy guarantees. This was going to be the first tournament in history in which someone could invest less than a thousand dollars and literally become a millionaire. 
Wow. First time it was ever going to happen. So, and I apologize because I'm ranting on the story because it's one of like the, <laughs> the biggest accomplishments in my poker career and the fact that I did this shit sober. So cool. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I did not win this tournament. You would know if I did. <laughs> um, however, I did make it to day three. I came in the final. I, I finished in 414th place. Wow. 28,371 people. That is insane. In 414th. When you break down percentages, I was in the final 2% of the field. Wow. It's unbelievable. That's like, impressive. When I say that, like, this tournament had like they had to have like multiple day ones. They had to have it spread out. When I tell you they didn't know what to expect for this tournament, they had to take chips from other casinos <laughs> to put into this tournament because they ran out of chips. Wow. When you play a poker tournament, a chip is the same color. <laughs> right. It's three different colors of one quantity of chip. It was weird. All wow. kinds of cool pictures. But anyway. That was like the biggest accomplishment of my life at that time. I was like one year sober and I met a couple sober people out there. Actually, my first day, I was using my, uh, my one-year coin as my card protector <laughs> the first day. And in my, my I call this guy Gary because he looked just like Gary Busey. It was unbelievable, wow. although it wasn't him. <laughs> and uh, he, he's on my right and he goes, is that what I think it is? And I said, I don't know what you think it is. And he goes, he pulls out his. And I said, yep. It's what you think it is. <laughs> and so we start talking and I have a guy on my, on my right at the time and he's got like 10 years sober. I, it was just so cool. I'm out in Vegas and I'm meeting this guy who has 10 years sober. He's out in Vegas playing the world series for the first time as well. And like, we're both living dreams, him at 10 years sober, me at one year sober, but we're living dreams. We're talking about how like our lives have changed over time. I get to pick his brain because I end up sitting next to him for the next 10 hours. Wow. So I'm just like, if we're not talking poker, we're talking sobriety the entire time. It's so cool. Um, so we, uh, sorry, I got on a little rant there. No, you're so good. Anyway, come home from Vegas. Um, keep living my thing. Like I said, that's, that's when I, uh, I build a group a few months later cause I'm now training for a marathon. The staying fit ODAT page comes up and in June, June is was, I was, I was on that podcast and we only had 60 people. I remember because when Antonia uh, interviewed me, I actually said on her podcast, I actually just caught this recently. I was listening to the episode. I actually said to her on her podcast, you're our 60th member to join this morning before we did the interview. This was June. And here we are, not even a year later. This is 10 months later. And the group now has 518 people in it. Wow. Um. So to kind of go back onto that group a little bit, it's just it, that that group is my baby. I love everything about it. It holds me accountable for situations. Um, it gives me a place to talk to people. It gives me a chance to meet new people. So a sense uh, of community. In a, it's it's exactly what it is. It's yeah. literally exactly what it is. Like even in the headliner in the description, um, the wording is alcoholics, drug addicts, people in recovery seeking um fitness with the like-minded or something like that i forgot how i worded it but it's just so cool and then people invite people and then other people invite people and then i even have some people who actually heard about it from the podcast because you know recovery podcast pops up and then they find out about the group second because 99 percent of people find the group first the podcast second a few people mm -hmm. found the podcast then the group that was really cool um 
It's led to open gateways to be able to get some really, really cool people on the podcast. Um, I've had everything from the second episode slash first interview because the first episode is my story and it's the only one that's not an interview. So the second episode is actually a personal friend of mine. Okay. Five minutes from me. Spent 15 years in prison for armed robbery. Now he owns a gym and people refer to him as the mayor of Bethlehem because he's that positive <laughs> in the community. And when I tell wow. you he's a builder, let me just give you an example of this kind of guy for anybody who wants to go hear his episode. This man just yesterday on Facebook and Instagram, our local downtown historic Bethlehem, it's very, very historic city. We have this old movie theater that's been closed down for a few years. There's people sleeping in the alcove in sleeping bags. This man took a picture of these people in the alcove. Without their faces, of course, he wasn't trying to be disrespectful. Right. And said, to all of my restaurant owner friends, who can I cash app, Venmo, send money to, and send these people for a meal? Like, not everybody just does that. You know, people keep it moving and this and that. No, he sees people struggling. And he wants a 100 yards away from his business, and he's not okay with that. He wants them to be able to get food. And he wants them to have a warm place to stay for 20 minutes. And it's just like, that's the kind of heart he is. These are the kind of people that I've been able to meet through sobriety because I met him, I met him at the casino, but I met him in the sober version of myself, just exchanging stories. Him, I probably knew him for almost a year before I found out he did 15 years in prison. Cause if you meet this man, you never believe it. So that's just one episode I've had. Uh, I'll have to go listen to that. That sounds, sounds incredible. I mean, a lot, so cool. a lot of people, you know, they're pretty judgmental. A lot of people are judgmental. They find out somebody's done time in prison for, you know, whatever, or some, they find out somebody's a an alcoholic, and you know, without knowing their story, they start judging them and they make assumptions about them. And that's kind of what this podcast is about: is you're not you're not who you once were, and so that's that's why I find your story amazing. Thank you for that. And You're and welcome. and I, I want to immediately piggyback on that because that is something I stress so much in every episode I get a chance and on social media. So there's a huge stigma to alcoholics and drug addicts. You know, we lie, we cheat, we steal. You can't trust us. And as soon as you turn around, we're going to take everything you have. Yeah, you, That's you, the stigma. You typically do whatever you can to get your next fix. Exactly. At any expense. However, people don't realize that when we're in recovery – and we want to be clean. If you don't think that we hate that version of ourselves more than you do, you're fucking delusional. Because <laughs> nobody hates the old Miguel more than me. Right. I promise you. Because I know the pain that he caused to his wife, to his children, to his mother. I know how many times my wife and mother would literally take turns. Which one of us is going to keep our phone on loud tonight? In case uh-huh. something happens, dude, that's, that's not normal. So I, uh, my, and, and again, my family, such a supportive system. And I, and I will say, this is the one thing I say to everybody in recovery. I'm not a doctor. I can't prescribe shit. All I can do is suggest things. Like I said, meetings aren't for everyone. There are different ways you can go online. That might not be for everyone. The one thing that I have figured out with every single alcoholic and drug addict, the one thing is that I've never met one that could do it on their own. And when I say do it on their own, you need a support system. I don't care if you never go to a meeting. I don't care if you never open a book and read the literature. I don't care if you never step foot into a church. 
None of those are requirements. You got to talk to someone. Yeah, there's got to be someone that can help you. You have to have accountability. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's and it's not even just accountability. It's just you need someone you can just talk to. Man, in that first 30 days of being sober, I can't tell you how many times, dude, I would just cry for no reason. Just watching a TV show and I just cry. I don't even know why. And it wasn't, I wasn't sad. I wasn't sick. I wasn't happy. I don't know why I would just have to cry. Um, and pro- it, it just, what's up? Oh, you're probably just going through a bunch of different emotions with having to flush your system out. You're, you're, you know, everything was just probably going bad shit crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and again, it's, it's just so cool because the, again, the community has been able to allow me to vent to people, see other people sharing their story. And again, I'm not going to say any names on this, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn or to sound like a big dog or anything like that, but just to show the raw naturalness. Um, I don't know if it's maybe because I'm the group admin. I started the group. Honestly, a million other people in the group might even get these messages and just respectfully not talk about them um, just out of respect. Mm -hmm. So I constantly wake up to messages where it's like, hey, I've been hanging out in your group. I've been in your group for you know a certain amount of time. And I'm actually going to give you one example right now, obviously, without saying the name. Person says, I've been in your group for one week now. I'm still drinking. Tomorrow, I want to try and put down the bottle. I've been seeing all the experience or uh, all the inspiring stories that people have been sharing. I just felt I needed to be honest with you. If you want me to leave the group, I will. But I've been drinking for the last week while I've been in here. I said, dude, the only requirement is the desire. That's it. Like, I don't want the bottle to be in your hand right now, but I'm not going to tell you to leave because it is. Mm-hmm. All right. This, they're, they're, the only requirement is desire whatever your issue is. And you know, and everybody is different. I have people in there that drink because drinking was never an issue for them. I have people that might smoke weed because weed was never an issue for them, you know? And it same like mental health. Like, uh, my mom is open about her story. So I'll use her as an example. She's in the group as well. My mom deals with an anxiety and depression. Um, a lot from her own childhood, then having two abusive husbands, um, having to raise three children on her own. You know, my mom's had a really lo- tough lifestyle. So she's just a perfect example. My mom drinks, not irresponsibly, super responsibly, super normal, but her issue is that she deals with anxiety and depression. Now, when she's in the group, she never talks about drinking in the group because she knows that there's other people in there and it's just irresponsible. Right. The same way, The same way I don't talk about poker in the group because there might be someone dealing with a gambling addiction. Right. And that would be yeah. irresponsible of me. Right. Um, but that's those just go along the lines. And sorry, what I what I was getting at with the uh with the accountability and having someone to talk to. So the group has been going for a little over a year now. And I'm sorry, real quick. Can you can you uh say the name of the group for people who might want to join? Absolutely. Um everything I do all has the same name. Staying fit, O D A A T, and you can three get three different words. You can get um, that on o- podcasts and on Facebook. Yep. Uh, so O D A A T. If you're not aware, um, it's just pronounced for people in the community. Uh, we just pronounce it ODAT. So <laughs> a lot of times you hear me refer to ODAT Nation. Okay. Um, where my ODATers, but anyway, O D A A T stands for one day at a time. 
It's, it's uh, an acronym I learned immediately in sobriety. And obviously it just applies to everyday life. Yeah. Um, so just this weekend, perfect example. Saturday night, I was at work and I work in the restaurant. So I'm taking a drink, a cocktail to a table and I spilled part of it on my fingers. Now, this happened to me a million times working in the restaurant business. I'll just go back, wash my hands, keep it moving. All good. This particular time, we were very busy. When I dropped it off, I kind of did one of these to my shirt and went on to the next table to kind of, I don't want to sound like irresponsible, but like all I had to do was grab something off the table. So it was kind of just like, all right, keep my left dirty hand behind my back, grab this plate and keep it moving. So that way I can multitask type thing. Right. As I was doing that, my brain forgot to go back and wash his hands. I have a bad nail biting problem. Luckily, 99 out of 100 times, I'm really good, especially during the pandemic, of washing my hands before I bite my nails. <laughs> and then again, afterwards, obviously, I don't want to gross anyone out. I mean, we have a million <laughs> nail biters in the world. But anyway, so this particular time, I forget. So I'm typing in an order on the computer with my right hand, and I don't think anything of it, and I just do one of these. My mouth exploded with the flavor of gin. Oh. Absolutely disgusting. Um, immediately went upstairs for like two seconds. It actually wasn't that bad. It was just gross spit. I spit out and it was okay. About a minute later, my stomach started hurting and wow. I just got this weird feeling in my throat. I, I was talking to a table then and I got this feeling in my throat, like almost like when you know you're going to throw up and you feel it in your throat and it's just not quite there. That's the feeling I got when I was talking to my table. Wow. I was like, so I went upstairs and I was just dry heaving the entire time. And it just, it fucked with my brain the rest of the night. And this was just three days ago. Wow. The rest of the night and people, the reason I'm telling you this story, it gets easier, but it's never completely easy and we're never done. You have to keep working on yourself. So I'm like really, really not feeling well at work. One of my coworkers immediately notices like, dude, you're not yourself or you're right. Cause I'm like super uppity beat and blah, blah, blah. And like, that's just me. And mm -hmm. are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not. I, uh, I just, I spilled a drink on my fingers and she goes, I already know where you're going with this. What can I do? What can I do? I love my coworkers, dude. They're family. That is awesome. I, post, I posted this on. Oh. Workers. I have family that works at the same job as me. Okay. And I, uh, my, my boss then found out. Cause he asked me, he said, dude, what's up? And, uh, I said, I, I spilled a drink on my fingers and he said, same thing again. I see where you're going with this. What can I do for you? What can we do? Go outside, call your wife, hear your wife's voice, hear your son's voice, come back in, whatever we need to do. If you need to go home, if you need me to take your tables, whatever you need to happen, this is what, now keep in mind, we have a full restaurant at the time. Every table is occupied. The bar is full. They just lifted restrictions. This is the first weekend oh, wow. that we're allowed to have people at the bar. Our restaurant is at max capacity at this point. Wow. We're already short staff like every restaurant in America is right now. Yeah. And I have the kind of boss, good friend, family, I don't care what you want to call him. This man didn't give a fuck about that restaurant for a second he wanted to make sure that i was okay and because he put it like that 
that phone call outside was only 30 seconds long. Wow. Because I wanted to just get back inside because I realized that like he was on my team. I needed to be there for him as well. And so I get out of work that night and I post on in the group and I said, guys, this is what happened tonight. And I told the story and just everybody reaching out, dude, it's not a relapse. It was an accident. You recognized it. You didn't keep going. You feel guilty. These are all the signs of how much your recovery means to you. Mm-hmm. For all listeners out there, I need you to know if you are ever in this situation, because this is the second time this happened to me in my sobriety. The first time it actually happened on Christmas in my first year of sobriety, I was only nine months sober. And I accidentally took my cup and my brother-in-law's cup were right next to each other and I grabbed his by accident. And immediately I took a swig. In that situation, I didn't even swallow. I immediately tasted. I had cider in my mouth, ran to the bathroom, spit it out. But again, I started crying. I thought I screwed up. I had to call people because it was the first time it ever happened to me. And so because that happened, when this happens to me almost two years later, I know that it's not a relapse, but I know that I still need to talk to people. Because if I keep this in, I don't talk about it, it's going to bother me. Then it's going to make me want to drink. And that's how three days after the incident, people end up with a bottle in their hand or at the bar because all they're thinking about is the taste of that. Well, maybe it wasn't that bad. And nah, dude, that shit made me sick. Why did it make me sick? Because your body doesn't fucking want this anymore. <laughs> right? It, it's rejecting the shit out of it. So by reaching out to people and telling them, now for the next three days, I have people sending me messages on Facebook. I have people sending me text messages. I have people calling. Some people would take that as annoying. Some <laughs> people would take it as overwhelming. I took it as accountability. Don't get me wrong. Some of those calls I didn't want to answer at the time because maybe I was busy mm-hmm. or this and that. But you do what you got to do. Yeah. Um, e- even my boss sent me a text message probably every 12 hours up until wow. last. This is probably the first time I went 12 hours with him sending me a text message since the incident on Saturday. Are wow. you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? How are we doing today? And like, I'm giving you a gist of it because he has a very funny sense of humor and I understand <laughs> it, a sense of humor. Right. Um, like, like to give you an example. Uh, so Saturday night when that happened, Sunday, I needed a meeting. Obviously, I've been <laughs> slacking on going to meetings lately. I haven't been going to them anywhere near as much as I should. And when you're not going to meetings for a guy like me who uses them a lot, then when something like this happens, it's even scarier because the people aren't there. So I actually met with a gentleman. I actually had a planned run from like two or three weeks ago. I already planned a run with one of the guys in the ODAC community um, because I've been trying to slowly meet more and more people. And so we had this planned run where I was going to drive an hour and a half away to where he lived and we were going to go on a run on a local trail by his house. So coincidentally, this happens the night before. We set this date three weeks out. So this happens Sunday morning. Honestly, I wasn't even sure if he saw the post or not because he's East Coast. And since I posted at like after midnight when I got out of work, I wasn't even sure he saw it. The next morning, we were <clears throat> one step into the run. And he goes, so how are you feeling today after last night? Oh. I said, so here we go. <laughs> when I tell you, we, went, we ran for 67 minutes on Sunday. Wow. There wasn't Good. 10 seconds where one of us wasn't talking about sobriety. Wow. I called it a meeting on the run. I bragged about it in the Facebook group afterwards. I was like, this was so cool. It was like one of the best things to the point where I actually got the idea. Like I almost, 
kind of might figure out a way to start recording this because I said to him at the end, like uh, we we set up a time and he's going to feature on the podcast. Okay. I said, dude, I feel bad. I'm going to have you tell your story twice. I said, if we had something going, this was an episode right here. <laughs> you just gave your experience, strength, and hope to a guy with nine years less sobriety than you who had a bad scare the night before and you spent the next hour letting him pick your brain. That's a meeting and that's a podcast episode. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to say that in like a funny way to like market it like, oh, bad things happen. Let's blah, blah, blah. Right. It was just like, it was one of those, like when everything was said and done, I was like, Hey, you have a really cool story. Can we get you on the podcast? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I'm an open book. Let's share. And then I was sitting back joking. I was like, you know, we pretty much just did an episode. Cause all my episodes are about 60 to 70 minutes on the interview. We just did one. We just talked. For <laughs> and so it was kind of like a funny thing. I was like, Oh, maybe I'll start doing long runs with people and start trying to interview them. But anyway, it, that, that really, really helped a lot. And it was unbelievable after that follow up with posting that out and people just again, commenting. It's so good to see you back out and doing the right thing. And you know, it's, it's just so cool because that's what the group does. That's and, very cool. And then you have someone who's saying, Hey, today is date. That person I referred to earlier now comes public in the group and says, Hey, today is day one for me. Oh, wow. You know, I'm, 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 I'm trying today. When that person says that someone else comments and says, today is day one for me too. Wow. Sorry. They were in their first, they were in their first week. So you have two people that are now inside of the first week of sobriety. Neither one of them know each other personally. And now from what I gather by the comments, they exchanged information and are now talking to each other to help hold each other accountable that's in whatever cool. way they're doing right now. And it's just, that's the kind of stuff that's going on in this community. And I fucking love it, dude. Yeah, that's I amazing. It's it. amazing. You're doing a great thing there. Um, you know, with having this, this platform for people to come on and share their, their, uh, you know, their struggles as far as, um, you're running, you, you want to kind of tell me a little bit about that and how that's Absolutely. helped you with severity. Oh, for sure. We could talk for another two hours talking about <laughs> running. Um, running just kind of became like a full blown obsession for me. So when I, uh, when I was not sober, when I was still drinking, I started doing like tough mutters, Spartans, okay. and I would do them with, um, drinking buddies. Uh, specifically I had one that I did one tough mutter. I pretty much did like four or five obstacle races with one particular dude. We would have people that would tag along with us as well here and there, but him and I were always in that group. Um, and so he became a good friend of mine. And unfortunately for me, when I was doing these Spartans and Tough Mudders, I was doing them for the wrong reasons. I was doing them for the social aspect. I just wanted to be around people. And I wanted that free beer at the end. <laughs> it was so stupid. Looking back, I'm like, dude, you're signing up for races for a free beer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Drop $120, drive 45 minutes away, run through the mud and the sun, beat the shit out of your body for a beer that costs six bucks at the end for free. Yeah, real smart, bro. So, and the reason I say it like that is because Spartans are super cool. And there are beasts out there that are completing Spartans. I didn't. I crossed the finish line, but I'm not a Spartan. <laughs> and the reason I say that is there's a difference. Um, when you do obstacle racing, when you fail an obstacle, 
there's a punishment. That's why it's an obstacle race. You have to start at the beginning, right? No, you have to do burpees. Oh, yeah, okay. So, because, and it makes sense. If if I got to run up this, if I have to climb this rope and hit this bell to go on to the next obstacle, if a guy like me can only get two pulls up and then I get down and I start running, how is that fair to the guy who did, like, right. I'm going to obviously cross the finish line before him. Right. So when you fail an obstacle, you're supposed to do 30 burpees. The reason I say I'm not a Spartan, every obstacle I failed, I maybe do 15, 20 burpees. <laughs> the weird thing is, in my psychotic brain, when I was drinking, I remember two times I even did 29 burpees because I needed to feel like I did less. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, dude, you just did 29. Do one more. Like, I needed to feel like I cheated the situation, like I won the situation. I don't know why. It's just <laughs> it, it was so weird. Um, but most of the time, being full honest, I would maybe do 10, 15, 20. And the thing is, if you're an elite wave and you're trying to compete for the prize money or if you're in the first wave of the day, there are officials that are going to call you out on that. Right. When you are just Joe Schmo who paid 150 bucks and your heat is in the middle of the afternoon, those officials care a lot less. <laughs> so they would see me do 10, 15 burpees and I would get up and he would look at me and I would look at him and I would just keep running. <laughs> and I would go on to the next obstacle. The hell with it. So when I say I'm not a Spartan, it's because I have never – Tough Mudder is a little different because there's no punishments. So I completed a Tough Mudder. But when it comes to Spartan, I have never completed a Spartan properly. So it is like a back goal of mine. So anyway, because of that, I had like this – I don't want to say a bad taste, but I almost had like whatever. I, I was like mad at myself towards obstacle racing. So when I would start going to meetings, I would start running and biking to the meetings. And honestly, in the beginning, I thought I was going to do a Spartan. I thought I was training – running to these meetings, biking. I thought I was just building up cardio to do a Spartan. Mm -hmm. What I didn't even realize is I was slowly falling in love with just running. Everything I hated about running in the beginning because it was just running. Like running on an obstacle course is cool because you're running to the next thing that you're going to do. Right. And, but running just – it was, dude, who wants to just pick up their left foot and their right foot for three hours? What kind of cycle <laughs> are you? Like that's not fun. But weirdly – it started becoming it. I would just jog to this meeting or ride my bike to that meeting and then go to the gym afterwards. And with that person I was talking about earlier. So that guy that I was referring to earlier that really changed my life in the beginning, his older brother is a runner. So um, he, I tried to get him towards obstacle racing. <laughs> He was never interested in it. He kind of <laughs> gave me the, he didn't want to be mean. He was, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. He was never having it. <laughs> so I actually asked him to run a 5K with me. I was like, all right, cool. Well, this is your territory. I love this story. This dude ran this 5K on like five days notice. And won the son of a bitch. Wow. Yeah, you talked about it, I think, in your your episode, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think he I wins. What was John, it? What was his time? Cycle, bro. Like, uh, I so I found out on my podcast I misquoted his time. Um, I want to say it was like seventeen and some change, maybe eighteen. That's insane. One hundred percent certain it was less than twenty minutes. Five days before, he had no idea he was running a race, and he runs a less than twenty minute five k. Yeah, to give you an idea, my PR for a five k is twenty five fifty eight. 
This dude rolls out of bed and wins a race. <laughs> that's how in shape he is. So that's insane. It's no, it's no surprise that anything running after that, I talked to him about. Um, he would start doing races, or he would like give me ideas on races and whatnot. And then, so on my two-year sobriety, he actually paced me. So the world was shut down. I just recovered from the broken ankle. I was actually signed up because I couldn't go to LA for the marathon, but early on March, I signed up for, uh, a 10 K at the, um, the end of May, right around my sober birthday. And then the pandemic happened. Everything was shut down. So I was like, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I went to the local community center and I was like, I'm just going to run on my own. I'm just going to do this on my own. Yo, John, can you show up and pace me? Help me hit my goal. We hit our goal. I love talking about this story. My mom, my wife, my sister, my support system. I fucking love y'all. I had no idea any of this was going to happen. I thought I was running a race. I had these shirts made um, that just say running, lifting, grinding, staying, staying sober one day at a time. I just had a bunch of shirts made because the group was fairly new. And honestly, I wanted to run the race and I was going to maybe sell a couple shirts. Cool. Whatever. I had no idea. When I crossed the finish line, now keep in mind, AA meetings are closed as well. I have nowhere to go get my coin. Yeah, I want to talk about yeah. that after you're done telling your story. Yeah, for sure. So I have nowhere to go get my eight, my two-year coin. So I crossed the finish line, and I ran really, really hard. First race off my broken ankle. My body was beat to shit. I'm down on the ground. I'm just trying to get, get my myself back together, and my mom says – Look up. My son, my two-year-old son, my mom has him putting this little plastic red, white, and blue ribbon with a fucking cardboard cutout. That big. Hmm. It's a piece of cardboard. And it just says FFF 10K, two years sober. Wow. The coolest race medal I've ever gotten in my life. That's powerful. My, son, my two-year-old son puts it around my neck. He then, my mom has, my mom, my wife, and my sister is all team effort. So they had a shirt made as well. I always go by FFF. I actually have a tattoo right here. Stands for faith, family, and fitness. It okay. was kind of like when I first got sober, it just became my kind of thing, my mantra. And so um, she had a shirt made that said FFF. Uh two years sober or something like that. And then she goes, hold on. I have one more thing for you. She has my son hand me a coin, the two year coin. I'm assuming she ordered it online, but they gave me my two year coin on my two year day. Wow. And it was just, I cried. I cried. How could you not? <laughs> I shared that video on Facebook. It's one of the most emotional videos. It's probably, I, I, I don't know if I've ever had a happier cry in my life, dude. It was, I had the three most, three of the four most important women in my life, because my little sister's down in Florida, uh, three of the most important women in my life, my wife, my mother, my sister, all there with my youngest son. I mean, I was missing the twin boys from the, from the, from the scene, but, uh, it was pretty close to perfect. And it, it was just, it was unbelievable. And, uh. It, one of the most emotional, happiest cries ever. And it was, it was just, it was so cool. That's amazing. Um, 
now during during the pandemic i i heard that everything shut down like the uh, aas and yeah what would somebody do to go to a meeting did they have online meetings how were they how were they All able right. to attend i want to preface this by saying that anybody out there right now with anywhere from nine to 12 months sober, anybody that has nine to 12 months sober, you dealt with the toughest, hardest, difficult, painful, emotional time of your life without being in the rooms. For that, if you did not pick up a drink or a drug during this pandemic, you're a fucking hero. You are you are my hero, and I want you to know I love the shit out of you for that. And and you are unbelievable. Because I don't know if I could have made my first year without the meetings. Because like I told you, I went to 100 meetings in 90 days. I don't know how it would have worked if I had to open up my laptop and go on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Because even that didn't happen for a little while. There was probably 30 days where you had nothing. You had to talk wow. to people online. You had nothing. There was no meetings. These old timers that run these meetings had no idea how to use Zoom yet. Nothing was set up. When, when I say, Dave, there was nothing. March of 2020, I saw, or sorry, April of 2020, I forget who it was, so I, I don't know who to credit on the article. I saw something that they said there was more relapses in that 30-day period than like ever. Holy shit. Wherever this place did that study, and, and again, I don't That's know who to cite, where it was, but those words were used. It was the most relapses in a 30-day span ever because like just imagine you quit drinking March 1st. Everything's cool. Everything's cool. You go to a meeting every day for two weeks because I know how that first two weeks is. One day you're like cloud nine. They call it this pink cloud because in the first like 30 days, 60 days, you get this pink cloud where it's like you'll have days where – you feel like you've been sober for years and you feel like nothing can screw up your path. Mm. No matter what this person says, does, I'm going to be sober forever. This is the easiest thing in the world. Right. And then the next day is the toughest day in the world. And it's weird. And they call that the pink cloud and you're coming in and off of it. So for anybody who like maybe started March 1st and you're in that pink cloud moment and you think all is good and then March 15th comes along and then the next 30 days you have nothing. That's... If you made it through that time, you're a hero. Like, luckily, we had this Facebook group. The Facebook group, now keep in mind, the Facebook group was only created three months before the pandemic. Obviously, I didn't know the world was going to shut down. <laughs> right. If I didn't have this group, I don't even know if I would have made it through year two. Like, who who knows what happens? Because when I couldn't go to a meeting, I would talk to people on here. Mm -hmm. And in, in mid-March, this group only had... 30 people in it, 40 people. Wow. But when I tell you all 30 to 40 people, we actually make jokes now about like the OGs, the hardcore community, because <laughs> there's like 30 to 40 people where we all know each other on a first name basis. Half of us have each other's uh, phone numbers. Whenever anybody posts or puts anything in the group, we all comment on each other's stuff immediately. And that's because when this pandemic first happened, we were the only people in this group and we all knew we couldn't go to meetings. So we all leaned on each other. Right. You know, right. they had people now don't get me wrong. You still have the phone numbers from the people out there that you were going to meetings with. So you still have people you can talk to, 
you had your sponsor, but, I'm sure, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you know, if you were in the rooms for a year before the pandemic, then you still have phone numbers. You have people you can reach out to. But this was so cool because there, there was people in here, you know, early on sobriety and people that made it through. And like, perfect example, I'm going to interview someone on the podcast. Or sorry, just did. The episode's about to come out. Okay. They just hit one year. If they just hit one year in March, that's the exact person I was just referring to. <laughs> right. You started your sobriety in the pandemic. Like, God bless you. God bless you. Everybody, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of people who have less money than they ever had, but then you have some people who are in some situations where they have more money than they've ever had yeah. because of stimuluses and unemployment and maybe your job, you were working just enough where you're getting the unemployment on top of it. Yeah. And like, I'm not trying to sound like, ignorant or anything like that. And I know those people are out there because I was one of them. The, the, the way my restaurant worked, like my part-time hours still getting the unemployment. So it was very tempting. You know, there were certain situations where I had a little bit more money than normal and my wife works in a nursing home. So overtime became mandatory. So while some people are struggling, my wife and I are actually on a monthly basis, actually making more money than we ever have. Right. So that is very, very tempting to go out and do some stupid stuff. <laughs> and then I think of other people, you know, what are they doing with that money? You know, are hopefully not spending it on what I think they are. Right. Luckily for me, I was able to cave it into my other addiction. And Poker. So, Poker or running? Uh, running and <laughs> shoes and like I'm, I'm a huge sneakerhead. Um, so <laughs> I probably purchased – I mean I probably already had 50 pairs of shoes before the Holy. pandemic. But now I probably have close to 200. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's, so that's where a lot of my money went. I, and, yeah, it's, it's bad, but um, it's, it's cool though. I, I love it. And, and again, too, poker, poker has been uh, like, I, I don't want to sound cocky. I'm not like, I can't, I don't make enough to play for a living, but I'm a winning player. So overall, I mean, you're going to have losing sessions. That's just how it works. But yep. overall, when you track it long-term, um, I make enough as like a part-time job. Like in 2019, the last time I tracked religiously, I made like $13 an hour playing poker. Wow. Now, you know, that's cool. Now, if, 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 uh, if the wrong person is listening, I'm not going to say how many hours I played, because if you try and hit me for taxes, I'm gonna give you $26. I only played two hours of poker, but you're a smart man. So it's kind of cool. Um, and it's, it's just, so that's been able to help out. And that, that goes into like, you know, this last year, you know, while a lot of, a lot of people have been struggling, fortunately, um, because my family has been able to stay safe, stay healthy. Mm -hmm. Nobody that I know personally has been, um, killed by the, the Corona and whatnot. It's, it's weirdly been like a very, very strange year where I've been able to like spend so much time at home working on things, building the podcast, building the group um, in January, actually. So the group started January 18th, 2020. So in January of 2021, I wanted to host a race. You know, we're all runners. The world is shut down. Everyone's doing virtual races. Why can't I? So I was like, all right, guys, let's do this. I was like, and I literally... It became a, a pole of breakdowns until I got kind of like the perfect formula in which I thought the group would like. So first it was like, all right, would you guys rather have it like you have a week or a month to complete? And then we would build it down. All right, are you guys willing to spend 
this much money to this much money for the swag. We can do t-shirts. We can do this and that. Like how much are you guys willing to spend? So what we found out, the general idea, the consensus that we came up with, it ended up being $35. $35 got you a t-shirt, this little keychain thing that my mom made. And uh, if you won your age group, you got a medal as well. Oh, cool. So we did a one mile, a 5K, and a 10K and a half marathon. And I kind of treated it like a regular race. You could sign up by your age group. You could pick your distance. You had to submit the results from your watch. No pausing. No mm-hmm. nothing. Like we treated it like a real race um, to be fair to people. I honestly, I didn't set an official date and start accepting money until probably November, maybe December, two months out from the race. I'll be honest. I thought in my own brain. I said, I don't have an actual business set up with this. I'm asking people to send me money to my Venmo, my PayPal, my Zelle. I said, people are going to trust me, <laughs> but how many? Right. Realistically, I thought I would get 10, 15 people, honestly. My goal, because I told everybody, I said, whatever we raise, I said, I'm keeping $0. I said, after overhead, every single penny is going back into the recovery community somehow, some way. I, I didn't want to say exactly to which organization because I didn't know what would pan out, whatnot. Right. But I said, I'm going to figure out a way to put every penny back in the community. I'm not taking a dollar from this gig. It's all donated time. I made that very clear. So that might have helped me get a few more people. But again, I was like, all right, maybe I'm getting like, I'll get like 10 to 15 people. Dude, we had representation in 35, or actually, I'm going to back up one more second. I even said for the less fortunate, I said, if you are unable to afford the packet, but you want to participate, I said, reach out to me on that same note. If you are doing very well this year, and if you are one of the fortunate ones and you can give extra, anything extra is going to go towards another entry and we can get people in that can, that can run. Very cool. And those extra fees, I was able to, you know, one person would send 50. There's an extra 15. One person would send 60. There's an extra 25. We built up enough to have seven people who could not afford the $35 during the pandemic, all able to run sponsored by other people who they don't even know who sent the money. They don't know what not. They just know that they signed up on this little list that I made and it was just like a first come first serve. All right, cool. We accumulated $35 in rollover. You're in the race. Wow. All right. The next day we hit the $35. You're in the race. And we went down. Not one person that sent me their name wasn't able to run. Wow. Not one. So how many people did you have at $35 (laughs) a piece, dude, we got representation in over 30 States. Wow. And five countries. Wow. Countries. That's insane. We had people. Oh, still there. Hold on. Ireland, Australia, yeah, United Kingdom, Australia, Ireland, uh, Canada, multiple people in Canada, multiple people in the United Kingdom. Just we're very well internationally represented. Um, and it was it was just so uh, overwhelming almost to the point where we actually had 75 people, 70 people donate money. Wow. 10 to 15 in which had zero intention of running, just wanted to support the cause. 
That's uh, we had 60 people actually race and submit results to wow. be a part of this race. After the overhead was covered, we raised $1,300. Wow. Dude, I thought I was going to get 10 to 15 people total to sign up. Before overhead, that's like three to $500. I would have been happy if I could have wrote one person a $100 check <laughs> when everything was said and done. Now, we end up getting 1300 And so we're going to give away to like different communities and whatnot. I actually just, in the most recent episode that I actually just released, it was actually the first uh, teaser, spoiler, whatever, to let people know I announced the first organization that's actually receiving money. And we're actually going to meet up, get them the money and whatnot. Um, but yeah, we're, we're getting them. Uh, I think we're doing $100. Again, I, I, I hate to throw numbers out there because I don't want to like be held to something. I don't want people to think I was trying to lie to them and whatnot because right. it's I, I didn't want to give $1,300 to one place. I'd rather maybe give $100 to 13 different places and yeah. try and spread the money out a little bit. And so it was that mentality. And, and, and for that reason, also, I understand that you know there's community and recovery centers around me. There's rehabs around me. But I'm one person in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. You know, so and so that ran in Canada, and so and so that ran in Redondo Beach, and so and so that ran in Jacksonville, Florida, and Detroit, Michigan. And you obviously you can I can just keep naming cities. Right. But all of these people have local recovery centers that mean a lot to them too. Right. A place that might have changed their lives. So I said, let's not be greedy about this. I said, for anybody who participated in the race, you obviously have a say. Everybody list your favorite organizations because I want to do my best to try and get them. Like what means a lot to you means a lot to me. Right. Like I'm hoping that I can trust you to be responsible enough to do your research, make sure the money's getting used the right way. Cause once you bring it to me and you say, Hey Migs, I participated in the race. I'm very passionate about this company or this organization. Can we add them to your list? You come to me like that. I have no more questions. They're in, they're on. Cause I trust you. Right. And yep. so, and that's, it, it's as simple as that. So we have others that we're going to communicate with on that same, on that same level. Um, maybe it's selfish, but I just wanted to get this one done first. Um, cause it's kind of, kind of be it like a live in person thing. Okay. And I feel like it opened up a lot of gateways for future stuff that we're going to be doing as well. Um, but it's, it's just so cool. And that actually opened up a gateway. So talking to them, then they actually do outdoor. So I'm going to shout them out. Sync recovery community. So shout out Laura was the last episode. She, the, the president, the founder, I, I don't know what word I want to use here. So forgive me, but you're, um, you're fine. She, she runs that and uh, they do outdoor activities. Like they'll go on a hike. Uh, they'll go, you know, go check out nature. They might go to like a painting thing and they'll do this and that. And what's really cool is they're usually two hours. You'll go, oh, they do CrossFit. So what you'll do is you'll go and like, for example, soldier fit, they'll go out to this gym in Easton. That's a CrossFit gym and they'll do CrossFit for an hour. And then after that, they'll spend an hour talking about recovery. And so it's like working out and then a meeting. And so, so they're doing, they're doing active recovery then, which is pretty cool. hundred percent. So she, when we were talking about that, I said, um, I really like things you have going on. What can I like? I want to be involved in the, in this community. Um, I want to help you any way I can. So she was like, figure out a way to use your running. And I said, all right, cool. And uh, I already had a, a plan in mind to kind of do like this couch to 5K program that I was going to do just for local people in the area who just out of shape and just trying to get healthier <laughs> this summer. And so 
Couch to 5K. I like that. <laughs> it's actually, I can't take credit. I did not make that up. That's an actual oh, okay. thing. If you just actually Google C25K, there's a million programs out there. There's wow. apps you can download. There are so many. It's it's exactly what it sounds like. It's just trying to get somebody up. So right. I can take zero credit for doing that. <laughs> okay. Uh, what I can take credit for is the one that I'm designing. As okay. I'm, I'm, I'm also a run coach myself. So the one that I'm designing, I can take credit for. But the concept, I can't. Right. Um, but anyway, so she was like, hey, what about like a couch to 5K? And I was like, hey, I was already thinking about doing one. This actually works out because I can do both at the same time, you know, just with different people. Because it's it's really going to be the same plan with different people. Right. So I was like, I can just do these at the same time and run them concurrent. So what that's going to be is I'm going to be meeting with people, whoever shows up once, maybe twice a week, and we're going to go on a run or do whatever the workout is that day. And then afterwards, we're going to have a meeting and we're going to talk. So it's going to be really cool because like the first time we might just go run up at the local track and have these people you know, sweat, bust their ass and then go sit down in the bleachers and talk about recovery. And it's just stuff like that is really, really awesome. I was able to start participating in events like that. Uh, the first time I actually ever went to it was, um, called sweat for sobriety. Again, another podcast guest that I had on, uh, Ryan who lost his brother to drug addiction. Oh, wow. And, um, because of that, he became a huge advocate and wanting to help people. So he started sweat for sobriety. And it's exactly what Soldier Fit is, um, just in a different town. It's people that go there, they do CrossFit for an hour, okay, and then they have a meeting afterwards. That one I actually had a chance to personally participate in, um, and it was so, so cool. And the first time I did it, I was like, dude, next time I come out here, I'm bringing the laptop, and we're getting you on the podcast because like, yeah, you have cool. a story to tell, and it's it's – this thing that you're doing is so cool. And that was the first time I ever heard of that. And since then I've heard of like a million <laughs> and I was like, this is so cool. There's other people doing this and this is awesome. And I'm just like, man, there's so many people out here in the community just trying to build the community. And it's, uh, there's so many heroes out there. Like heroes don't wear capes. No, like, they that's don't. That's bull bullshit. Heroes, heroes do what they can for their family and they try and break the stigma and, and they try and sorry, that's also what I was trying to say earlier. And I got sidetracked because it happens to me a lot <laughs> breaking the stigma. So there's a lot of people who can't talk about their recovery. Yep. They can't talk about their addiction. And this is what we were talking about. Actually, um, I got sidetracked, uh, cause we were talking about like, you know, everyone always thinks that we're going to cheat. We're going to steal. We're going to do this and that. Right. So because of that, I think a lot of people are scared to share their story as well. You know, um, Maybe so-and-so is a lawyer and – or maybe he's in law school and he doesn't want people to know that he's in recovery because what are they going to think when he tries to go past the bar? Right. Or you know that there's a million – or maybe you're the boss at work <clears throat> and you just sobered up and now you don't want people to know that you're an alcoholic because you don't want your, your – the people that work for you to think less of you, to not respect you, to not – you know – or maybe you are just the employee and you don't want your boss to think differently of you, or you don't want people in your family to know different, whatever, for whatever reason, a lot of people have their reasons and they just can't open up about it. Um, yeah. I personally know one person who actually op openly said in a meeting that he, uh, he has never told anybody he's not related to that he's an alcoholic outside of a meeting. Wow. And that's not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. 
I'm not saying that's a good thing. That's his thing. Yeah. Um, me, however, I already have a felony, so I'm already ruled out of a lot of jobs that I would want. <laughs> I have 22 tattoos. Uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Uh, there, there's just so many things going against me to the point where I was like, fuck it. Yeah. I can be open about my story. Who gives a shit? <laughs> my boss knows I'm an alcoholic. Matter of fact, shout out, not even the boss I was referring to, because that's our general manager. The owner of our restaurant is an unbelievable human being as well. Like when I was trying to sober up and I was a manager at that other restaurant I was talking about, I realized that working 60 hours a week, running a craft beer program, um, and just 60 hours a week there, not including the time I was working at home plus the 45 minutes driving back and forth. Like me and my wife sat down one day and figured out like I would, when you consider travel time working from home, I was giving them about 80 to 90 hours a week. Wow. Um, which doesn't help at all with sobriety no, because dude, when you're trying to you're quit stressed drinking, out. when you're trying to quit drinking and almost every minute you're awake, you're dealing with stress factors. Terrible. Yeah. So I remember sitting at the bar one day, um, this one I'm still drinking obviously. And talking to the owner of the restaurant, because the restaurant I work at now is actually my favorite restaurant before anything. It's it's always been my favorite restaurant. Actually, when I refer to the story about stopping home on my way to work, having a beer, and going home, it's that spot. It's wow. my favorite restaurant. Weirdly enough, the restaurant I was working at at the time that I was leaving, not the one I was managing, but anyway, so when I was talking to the owner – his parents own uh, an Italian restaurant on the other side of town. Oh, wow. And so like I was just venting to him. I'm sitting there drinking a beer. And I don't think I said to him that I was trying to quit drinking at the time. But I think I just vented to him like, dude, this job is very, very stressful. My boss is up my ass about this and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, I'm so stressed out. And I have, you know, we're about to have a baby. And like, I don't know if I can deal with this. And I think I used the the driving as a huge excuse. Um and so he pretty much told me, he was like, look, uh, I don't have any room for you here right now because it's a really small restaurant. But he's like, mm-hmm. uh, my parents' restaurant does need a little extra help. They could always use extra hands. If you want to go up there and have a little bit of fun, you can go up there, work up there for a little while um, until something opens up here. Now, keep in mind, the hard part about that is I would have to leave management. I was pretty much going back into serving and bartending. Okay. So, which... I had an issue with it at the time, but looking back, best thing I ever did. So I went there and then that's the place that I actually sobered up at. Like I was working there when I sobered up. And so when I had a chance to work at this other restaurant, I actually, sorry, I left there. There was a short time where I thought I could be a manager in sobriety. I was about six months into my sobriety and I went and I got a job at another uh, restaurant where I was managing and I realized that like, I'm not, I'm not far enough into sobriety. Like I don't want to deal with this. And like, I immediately got out and I was like, this is not good. And I went right back to the other restaurant again. And so I finally had an opportunity to get to the other one. When I went back to that restaurant at that time, I was there for about a week and the manager comes up to me and he goes, I got some bad news and I got some good news. Goes, bad news is I got to let you go. Oh. So, so what the fuck is the good news? <laughs> he goes, uh, I'm only letting you go because, uh, Dominic has a spot for you at the mint. So, uh, reach out to him and let him know when, cause they knew that the entire, they knew that that was always my favorite restaurant. Um, 
from a food and a beer standpoint. He always has a phenomenal craft beer list. The food is all scratch kitchen. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's that place has been open for nine years. I've been working there for two. It's been my favorite restaurant for seven. Very cool. So, um, and it was only, it was walking distance from where I used to live. It was one of the places where I could get shitty, but responsibly <laughs> shitty, then go to the, and that's why I always tell people. So when I say I would have the intention to be responsible, perfect example. So that place is walking distance to home and also right next to door to a six pack shop. So what I would do is I would go there and I would have three beers responsible, have a good time, talk about the beers, check them in on the little app, give my little rating, talk to the bartender, talk to the owner of the restaurant. Cause I was usually there after the kitchen closed. So the owner's out there just talking to guests and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I would do that. And then I would go to the six pack shop and I would grab, uh, whatever was the cheapest beer at the time on sale. And I would go home and I would drink till I black out. A lot of times it's passing. I want to drink it still in my hand. Wow. I can't, uh, nine out of 10 mornings, there would be a half, a half empty beer on my dining on the, on the coffee table because I was literally just going to drink until I passed out. It wasn't like all this beer is done. I'm going to go to bed. Right. If I was awake, I was still drinking. That was, that was just it. Um, and so when I had a chance to work at this restaurant, it was just, it was, it was so, so cool. And it's like, I'm still there now. And it's like, that's why I said, it's like a family environment. Like I love the owner. I love his parents at the other restaurant. Um, shout out Lombardo family. If anybody's in Bethlehem, go eat at the mint gastro pub. Or Stefano's Italian uh, Italian restaurant, best pizza at the one place, best burger and everything else at the other. I mean, you, you can't go wrong with either place. Um, I love them all. Um, it's there, and just like they give that family environment, and again, it's like a support system. Like right. the owner, every every so often, asks me, "Hey, how are you doing? You still feeling good? You still, you know, sobriety working out for you? Like, just every so often, trying not to be too too personal, but making sure I'm okay." And it's just like. That's the shit I love because there's so many places where like they wouldn't care about that. It's like I care if you're here and you're working and if you're doing your job now and if you're not, that's not my problem and I'm going to find someone who is. Right. And they're the type of people that, yeah, we have a full dining room on a Saturday, but you just accidentally just tasted gin. So let's make sure that you're okay. <laughs> now, obviously, you can't go out and milk these situations and whatnot because right. they, they have a business to run. But I like that when those situations are so few and far in between that they put us first. And shit like that is I, I love that family and they're they're second to none um, of anywhere I've ever worked and I've been in the restaurant industry for twenty years. Okay. They're that family is second to none. Wow. Um, so uh, so for anybody who is a, a re- recovering alcoholic or just a recovering addict, for that matter, um, what would your what would your advice be to them? Reach out. Don't do it alone. Uh, the minute you are prepared to say that you are an alcoholic, an addict, whatever, the first time you say it out loud, your life is going to change. It's like, I don't know. It's like this weight gets lifted off your shoulders. Like, and every time you say it, it's almost like a little bit more weight. Like I have goosebumps right now. Like the hairs on my arm are sticking up. Just telling this story right now. Just like even saying, I'm Miguel, I'm an alcoholic. It's just, I don't know. Every time I say it, I just feel a little bit better. It's a sense and of truth. So, yeah. And so I think that the first time you say that though, the most important thing, you got to be around people because not only, not only does it feel so good, it's also the most terrifying thing because once you said it out loud, 
Now other people heard it. You can't deny it anymore. You can't be like, oh, Miguel, I'm an alcoholic. Ha, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, it doesn't work that way. You have right. to, once you say those words, and if you start drinking again, or if you start drugging again, it's now a relapse. If you use those words on your own, it's now a relapse if you're now doing what you needed to quit. Mm -hmm. So when you do say that out loud, be around people, talk to people, reach out. Like I said, I'm not pushing meetings. If it works for you, get to one, go to one with a friend. Um, find a support you can, group. You can find my phone numbers all over social media because I'm just, I'm an open book. Reach out to me. Not only staying fit, Odette, Miguel Reyes, M-I-G-U-E-L-R-E-Y-E-S. I don't give a shit. I will give my phone number to anyone. I don't care because this is all about helping each other out. If you just need someone to talk to, someone who doesn't even know your last name, and you just need to to release to a stranger, call, reach out, get in the group, but don't do it alone. I, I, I'm not the person who can tell you how to do anything as far as this because I'm not a doctor. All I know is that we can't do this alone. And most importantly, most importantly, you need to know that you are not alone. There are so many people out there. And it's crazy because – when you actually say it out loud too, then there are some people too who are open about it, but they're maybe only open to a certain point. Mm -hmm. Like I have a handful of people who were already in recovery before I sobered up. And when I sobered up, they told me that they were sober and they gave me someone to reach out to. I guarantee for anybody listening to this episode, I promise you, think of the 10 closest people in your life. Think of the 10, anybody listening to this, think of the 10 closest people in your life that are over the age of 18. I promise you at least one of them is dealing with addiction. I don't know if it's going to be alcohol, drugs, suicidal thoughts, massive depression, anxiety, overeating, gambling. I mean, you can, you can throw the word anonymous you can throw the second letter A behind any letter and fill in an addiction. Mm -hmm. So I promise you, look in your closest circle. There are people that are struggling. You might not even know who that person is until you come clean yourself. And that person's going to come to you and they're going to help you. And they're going to be there for you because they love you and they want to see you succeed. And they want you to feel the same way they did when they opened up. If you are the one person in the world who unfortunately – the top 10 people are all holy saints and, and that doesn't apply for you. Then reach out to me. Cause in my 10, probably seven of us are fucked up. So you can share my family with me and I'll make you feel a little bit better and we'll be cool. Like, I don't care. I'll down myself to help you feel better. Like whatever. I just, I just want us all to get through this together. So that's, that's the biggest thing is that like, I, you are not alone and don't think you have to be because when you try and do this stuff alone, your alone, your lonely thoughts, your alone thoughts, that's what kept you in addiction forever as is. You were hiding behind the bottle for you were hiding behind the drug. You were hiding behind this. Like there are so many things that like I just had to be open with. And it's it's so crazy too, because like my wife and I will have this, like we'll have a talk about something. And in that first year, I'd say, like, you know, uh, you know, this and this bothers me. 
we've been together for six years. How does this bother you? No, it always bothered me, but I just ignored it. And I'm not saying like massive, crazy things or anything like that. It's just right. small. But when you, when you sober up, you start to open up about those things because one little thing that might only be like a one out of 10 on, on your pressure scale. But if you pile in 10 ones, what number are you at now? Right. You're at a 10 and that, then you explode and then you run to the bar to hide your shit. And that's where it happens. So don't let it compile because it's too much little stuff. Let it out. Talk to people. Open up. Um, one thing that really I learned in AA that applies to anybody in active recovery that doesn't just apply to AA, pick up the phone before you pick up a drink. I'm going to say that again. Pick up the phone before you pick up a drink. What that means is exactly what it sounds like. Call just somebody. Talk to yeah. Talk to someone just because nine out of 10 times you're going to talk to someone and they're going to keep you on the phone long enough, whether it's one minute or three hours, Yeah, they're going to keep you on the phone long enough till you're going to hang up the phone. And a lot of times, a lot of times that problem, you're going to look back and be like, did that really bother me <laughs> that much? Like that guy that cut me off on the highway and he gave me the middle finger. I was really about to drink a beer over that asshole. <laughs> like, right. really? Or this person called the cops on me because my music is too loud. I was, I was going to drink over that. Like, really? Right. Like, come on, dude. Like just, and so a lot of times you just talk about it and you realize like it wasn't that serious and you can only keep, you got to keep clean your side of the street, work on what you can work on. You can't change other people. You can't, you can't fix other people. You can help other people. You can't change people. You, you can only change you. You can only work on you. And that's it. All you can do is be an example and lead by example. Um, and there's just, there's, there's so many, so many, so many, uh, close calls. Like I, I say all the time too, like, I'm so fortunate to be where I am at now. Cause like, I think of one incident actually two months after I, two months after I got married and about nine months before I sobered up, uh, I got into a car accident. And I was drunk, mm-hmm. um, not shit face drunk, but I was definitely over the legal limit and I was actually coming from a six pack shop. So I had more beer in my car. Wow. You're on your way home to get, get even mm-hmm. more fucked up. Yep. It was actually, I, I remember it was uh, July 10th. It was actually the home run derby. It was Aaron judge's debut in a home run derby. Um, I'm a huge Yankee fan. <laughs> I had five people at my house and this is again, alcoholic tendencies mentality. Listen to this one. Five people at my house. I run out of beer. Keep in mind, I was the only one drinking the beer. <laughs> Sorry, one other person was drinking the beer with me. I ran out of beer. I said, guys, we need more beer. They all looked at me and said, we don't need anything. <laughs> now, my wife works overnights. My wife is in the bedroom sleeping. I leave these four people at my house. Really, really good friends. It's not like that was a weird part or anything. Right. I leave, I leave them at my house, and I drive to the six-pack shop. The only one over the legal limit. And the only one that still wants beer. I drive to the six pack shop. I get into the car accident on the way home from that. So I have four wow. people at my house, less than a mile away from where I'm at in this car accident. I already have a DUI. This I'm now outside of the 10 year window, which is the state, the law in Pennsylvania for, uh, for your first offense. At this point, I was literally the minute I got into the car accident, I started doing the math in my head. Oh. <laughs> I was six months shy of my 10 years. This would have been oh. my second DUI. Wow. Second DUI in Pennsylvania, I would have been in jail for seven days. I would have been on work release for 21. 
And I would have been on house arrest for two months after that. And then I would have been on probation for five years. I would have had to get the anti-wheel lock in my car. I would have paid out thousands and thousands of dollars in fines. The reason I'm telling you this story, it took me a long time, but this man changed my life. I'm sitting on the side of the road. I'm, I call my best friend, the best man at my wedding two months before this. My best men, both of them were actually at my house at this moment. I called him. I said, yo, V, Eddie, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to wake up, Mallory. Make sure she's calm. I'm about to go to jail. You got like 15 to 20 minutes to get up here. I'm going to jail. They already knew what happened. Um, they didn't even need to hear that I got into a car accident. They just know that Miggs is drinking. He left. Why else would he be going to jail? <laughs> right. Uh, they, they show up. Cops took forever to respond to this. Like when I say close to 20 minutes wow. before cops show up, uh, I'm sitting on the side of the road. I'm shaking. I'm like freaking out. Cop comes up to me and he goes, what's wrong with you? He goes, you see that? And he points at the stop sign. And he goes, she ran the stop sign. The accident's her fault. Uh, dude, something happened in my head. I thought he didn't know I was drunk. Huh. Thought He thought I was 100% wow. sober. So me, like an asshole, respectfully, but yet very aggressively, I get this close to his face. And I'm, so you're going to get her insurance information, right? You're going to get everything taken care of because I just crashed a $30,000 car. You're going to, and, and I start getting like cocky. <laughs> My wife pulls up at the time. My wife is like literally walking behind me at this point. I can only assume that she thinks that the reason I'm face to face with the cop is because I'm about to get arrested. Oh boy. <laughs> she walks up to me. The cop, he leans in a little bit closer. Like he could almost kiss me. He was that close to me. He goes, if you think that I'm dumb, try again. He said, if I were you, I would get in your wife's car right now. Go home. Call me in the morning. My wife didn't even let me say another word. I never felt her pull me so hard and literally <laughs> throw me in the car. Got me home. I called him the next morning. He purposely withheld the insurance information and whatnot so he could talk to me. Pretty much tells me along the lines, um, you, you did what you did last night. Uh, you could have killed someone, could have killed yourself. You could have, you know, a million bad things could happen. And luckily, the only thing that happened was you totaled your car. You could have totaled your life, but you totaled your car. You said, you need to get your shit together, man. Get your fucking life together, pretty much. Like he said it a lot more politely and a little bit more respectful, but uh, that's what I heard. And uh, granted, it takes me nine more months till I get to where I get, but I never forgot that officer's name. I never forget the sound of his voice. It's like one of those things, like if I go blind one day and he ever is next to me, I will know that that's him. I will never forget that voice. Um, he didn't actually remember the incident too much. He must talk to a lot of people and try and be very influential in people. Cause I called him about a year later and said, Hey, I'm now three months sober exactly a year ago today. 
uh, you know, this incident happened and blah, blah, blah. And he kind of remembered it, but I could tell by the way he was acting, like it was one of those, like I'm pretending I remember, but he really didn't. Um, but it was, it was just, again, a life, a, a, a life changing moment. Um, and the reason I say that's life changing, my son was conceived. Me and my wife were trying to have a kid. I wanted another kid cause I have a terrible, like I, I just wanted to be a better person. Mm-hmm. I wanted a kid, even though I was still drinking super irresponsible. I should have never had a kid while I was drinking. Um, but my wife told me like, if you, I, I'm not getting, I'm not having a kid out of wedlock. If you want to have a kid, we got to get married. So we had just gotten married. We pushed off having a kid. So from the day we got married, we were trying to have a kid. Our son wasn't conceived till August. So keep in mind on July 10th, if that cop wanted to completely execute his job, you'd have been in jail. I'd been in jail. My son. Yeah. Wouldn't be here. I'm not saying we wouldn't have a kid by now. Right. I wouldn't have a son who's about to be three next month and the coolest little kid ever. And it's it's just like that's how like million little things just like it's like the butterfly effect. And it's uh, you know, just one of those million things I'm grateful for. I will forever be in debt to that officer. Um, full disclosure, I don't want to give too, too, too much credit because I still am also a firm believer. I don't want to sound negative, but I'm a firm believer that that woman that ran the stop sign, I believe she was also under the influence. Oh, jeez. I saw the look in her eyes when we got into the car accident because when I got out of the car, like I was perfectly okay, but I knew my car was total because I hit her because she ran through the stop sign. So when I hit her, I got out of the car. She, she was looking at me like a deer in headlights and she just kept asking what happened, what happened. Oh man. And I kept trying to tell her like you ran the stop sign, but are you okay? Like I didn't yeah. care about it. There was 60 seconds where I wasn't thinking about the DUI and it was just making sure she was okay. Right. Um, and once she was okay, then it was DUI mode. But I also genuinely believe that I don't think that cop wanted to get two DUIs that night because <laughs> Let's be realistic. I'm not going down without a fight. She ran the stop sign. If you put me in handcuffs and I have those feelings towards her, my yep. fight or flight mode would have probably been, well, it's on her too. Cause in my mind, that would have somehow got me out of trouble. Well, right. If we're both drunk and it's her fault. Then we don't both go to jail. Right? Like, <laughs> no, that's how it would have worked. She would have just went longer. That's all. That's, or no, not even went longer. She would have just lost her license or whatever to whatever that. Anyway, it, it's just one of those weird situations where like, I somehow get rewarded too. Cause I was like, I was a car payment behind and I was spending my money on beer. And like, I was in one of those situations where I probably had like one month to come up with like two payments or they probably repossessed the car type deal. And right. I was way in over my head. And then because of that gap insurance, car insurance, all that kicks in. I go from about to get my car repossessed and now my car is getting paid off and I drive off the lot with a brand new car and a lower car payment. So it was like, yes. how am I getting rewarded for fucking up? And I, I never understood that. Um, to this day, honestly, I still don't understand how I get rewarded for screwing up. Like it doesn't make sense to me. I almost feel like I don't deserve it, but then I'll be where slide off of the roof onto my car and leave nasty tiger stripes down my car. And I'm like, (laughs) karma, karma, that's cool. I kind of deserve that. It's cool. But that's the kind of shit I try and laugh off now. Cause it's like, fuck it. I'm sober. It could be worse. It could be. and that's the 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 last thing because I know we've been going here forever. One of the last things. An hour I will tell all and forty eight minutes. Yeah. <laughs> One of the last things I will tell our listeners here today. Um, 
no matter how bad life is, no matter how tough it gets, I promise you, if you pick up, it's not going to get better. There is no problem in the world that is going to get better by picking up another drink. Unless I miss something and they say chug that beer to save humanity, I guess I'm on your side then because I'll relapse for that too. (laughs) You told me right now we could, we could, we could have world peace and we could put everything together. Might be one of the very few circumstances in which I'd be willing to re go through that first year again. (laughs) But other than that, I promise you nothing gets better by picking up a drink. Nothing will get better. It will only get worse because I, I don't care if you lost a family member and that's, that's about as bad as it gets. If you lost a family member and then you go get drunk, what happens tomorrow? That family member still passed away. You're now hungover and you're back at day one. I want you to tell me how one thing got better in that scenario. It yeah. only got worse. You now have two problems because now you still have your deceased family member and now you got to figure out how you're going to stop drinking. Yeah. So you don't become the deceased family member. And it's like, nothing will get better if you continue picking up. I promise you it won't get better. Well, that was incredible, man. I, like your, your life story is insane. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm proud of the fact that you were able to find a way to come out of it and uh, continue to have a, a better life for yourself and your family. Um, this is the longest podcast I've ever done. <laughs> this is, I, I appreciate you for, uh, for letting me ramble. And it's just like, I don't even realize, like I get lost. And sometimes I say the same thing too. I actually had one episode that went like an hour and a half and I was like, holy shit. It, but it felt <laughs> like it, it felt like a 10 minute interview because we're just like, you get into the rawness and it's just yeah. like, you're listening to the story and then you look at your watch and it's like, holy shit, it's whatever. <laughs> and, but, uh, I, I figured opening I... up to you is very, very easy. You just like provided a very, a very chill platform and just like so laid back and uh well that's yeah, I'm, that's I'm like, the purpose I'm, of it i want people to be able to come on and just share their stories however they feel and you did it in a raw way you're real raw about it so well that's what and that's that's the one thing i try and do in the podcast and one thing i actually say i don't know if this is a good thing to say out loud but i've already said it a million <laughs> times my podcast is a uh, i put a lot into the interview i put a little into this everything else i don't know how to edit audio i have a 25 dollars headset from amazon Mm -hmm. um i want to build a a nice professional podcast studio since it's been taking off and it's doing better than i thought it would but my intention for every interview was just to get somebody on zoom hit the record button and share their story if the quality sucked I didn't care yep. if they curse too much. I didn't care if I had one listener. I don't care as long as that one listener is getting what they need from the episode. That's all that matters. The rest, the rest is fuck it. Yep. And that's the, the the mentality I used. And don't get me wrong. I want people to rate the podcast. I want people to review the podcast. But yep. at the end of the day, I'm not going to stop recording because I'm not gaining more people. Right. It's and that and that's the difference. I care about the podcast a lot. I just I don't care enough to sell out. Right. And I don't right. even want to say like editing is selling. I, I shouldn't have said it that way, but um 
I just, I didn't care enough where I wasn't like going to be like, yo, this, this, and this, and this, and this has to be done before I put an episode out. It was like, right. no, this is the content. I'll give you a 30 second disclaimer before the episode starts apologizing about the sound quality. <laughs> and then you decide how you feel about the episode. Right. And now keep in mind, I also don't want to like bash the podcast thinking it's terrible quality. Cause there's actually only one episode that actually has a bad connection. Um, it's just like, if you listen to some other podcasts, like, you know, like Joe Rogan or something like that, like these are professional, professional, professional studios. Right. I'm not there. Yeah. If you are, if you're a music engineer and you're like nitpicking over every audio quality, my podcast isn't for you. That's, <laughs> that's all I meant by that. So maybe I had a really like everything else in life, I had a really long way of saying that, but. Well, I listened to your podcast and I thought it was pretty good quality. You, you seem pretty in tune to what you're doing. Um, and it's raw and it, I kind of, I don't really edit too much. The only thing I edit is like maybe the intro. So like, obviously the beginning of this podcast, we're kind of, you know, just talking a little bit. I'll, I'll edit up to the introduction part. And then that, that's all I edit for the most part. Nice. So uh, well, super cool. And, uh, just like with everything else, in, um, addiction, I have like, I try and use my addictive, uh, personality powers for good now, um, <laughs> such as, uh, listening to a lot of, a lot of, like ever since I started the podcast, um, that's pretty much all I listen to anymore. I yeah. very rarely listen to music anymore. Like I'm constantly, constantly podcasting. Um, so, uh, like right now I'm about to get on yours. Like as soon as we hang up, I'm about to start listening to cool. some of yours. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I just had to pause my, my favorite one right now. I've been, I've been binging. I'm like 29 episodes into a podcast that I recently found. That's more on the running aspect. And it's like, okay, I've been binging the shit out of that, but I kind of <laughs> need a break. I've literally been listening to the same four voices for the last two and a half weeks. No exaggeration. <laughs> so I kind of could use a break just into, into something else. Um, but I'm, I'm like super looking forward to hearing yours and, uh, total, spoiler teaser whatever if you just wait a few more weeks as well people get to hear your story on my yeah. podcast That's as right. well because for anybody that doesn't know i mean this won't be out today i'm assuming but um from the day we're recording today tomorrow we have you recording for mine yep. in which i definitely 100 know that i'm releasing an episode every six days until i'm so i tried to do every sunday at yep. 6 p.m and I fell off schedule. So now trying to get because ahead. I want to be back on schedule. My my goal is I'm releasing every six days because I don't want to do too much. So I'm doing every six days until I get to a point where the amount of weeks that the podcast has been out reflects what should have ideally been one episode a Sunday. Okay. Um, and the way I figured out that math is I just started doing this. Like I came out with an episode on a Friday. Next episode comes out Thursday and then so on every six days. And I figured it out. Weirdly enough, if I did the math correctly, your episode for our interview tomorrow would actually be get us back on Sunday. Like I needed yeah, to do that cool. like five episodes. So I think yours <laughs> either either right before yours, yours or right after yours will get us right back on track. But anyway, cool. um, you will be they can hear your story on the Stang Fit Odat podcast. Um 100% within the next few weeks, we will be up there because we're recording tomorrow. And I can't wait to do this again. I'm looking forward to it, man. And uh, real quick again, can you plug your podcast, plug your social media accounts? And if you want to throw your phone number out there again, go ahead. 
See, I love it because I always give people the chance to do this on mine too. Plug the shit out of yourself. I love that, brother. <laughs> um, so you can find me on uh, Facebook, Miguel Reyes, M-I-G-U-E-L-R-E-Y-E-S. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at – oh, shit. Hold on because I forgot the way I put the letters. Um, <laughs> you can find the Facebook group on Facebook at Staying Fit ODAT. You can also find us on Instagram at Staying Fit ODAT. Um, the two biggest differences I always explain to people too, the Facebook group is for the people that identify. If you yourself are the alcoholic, the addict, you deal with the anxiety, the depression, if, if you, any of those things we mentioned throughout this episode, if you identify and you are the person, then the Facebook group is for you to join the community. If yeah. you don't identify, but you just like the podcast, you think we're doing good things, you want to know about events when we got going on, such as that race that happened in January, which is going to be happening again in this next January, even on a more official level. Like if you like all that stuff and you want to be involved, that's where the Instagram page is where you can just follow what I'm doing. Okay. Um, and then you can also find my personal Instagram is FFF underscore MIGS, M-I-G-S underscore ODAT. O-D-A-A-T. So that's FFF underscore MIGS underscore ODAT. That's my personal Instagram. You can also email stangfitodat at gmail.com. You can find us. Uh, the podcast is also called Stangfit ODAT. Uh, we are on all of the major platforms except iHeartRadio, um, okay. Anchor, Spotify, Apple. Um, if you're an Apple user, show your boy some love. Leave a rating and review. <laughs> It's still a fairly new podcast. I don't want you to lie. Tell me how you really feel. Just leave a rating review. It takes you two seconds while you're listening to an episode. Um, but yeah, that's how you can find me. My phone number, 610-333-7709. Um, use the phone number for good. Just remember there's a block button. So if you have zero intention, <laughs> you're just being an asshole to call me, I can just block the number. That's why I don't care giving out the number. It really is that easy. Um, right. uh, but yeah, just reach out. Please, 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 please. Pick up the phone before you pick up a drink. I will say that until I'm blue in the face to anybody I ever see. And just remember, one day at a time, it, it applies. It's not just for sobriety. It applies to running. Um, when when I did that first 5K, this guy just – that was the first reminder. When he runs an 18-minute 5K and that one took me 28 minutes, that was a reminder one day at a time. I'm not going to be a 19-minute 5K guy. Three years later, I'm still a not a 19-minute 5K guy. I'm trying to qualify for Boston, and I'm trying to get there, and I have a running coach to try and get those goals, and I bust my ass. But three years later, I'm still not where I thought I could be that day because I was right. delusional as to the sport. So it's one day at a time. Just keep grinding. Don't give up. Just keep fighting, people. Just keep fighting. I promise you. It gets better. It's never easy, but it gets easier. I promise you. It's never perfect, but it gets better. I promise. I promise you it gets better. I, I sincerely mean that. It gets better, guys. It gets better. All right. With that being said, let's, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. I, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Brother, man, thank you so much. Yep. I love you all. Everybody stay healthy. One, stay fit one day at a time, people. All right, man. Thank you. All right, brother. All right. Bye.